We turn to our scripture lesson, at least which will begin our sermon tonight, not the only scripture that I will call upon during this topical sermon as we continue to consider those topics that are found in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Tonight come to the topic of free will. Turn to John chapter 6. Start at verse 41, and I'll read through verse 51. This is the word of the Lord, as he gave to the Apostle John, and as Jesus promised that he would bring to their remembrance, to the Apostles' remembrance, all the things that he taught, and here, infallibly, brought to the memory of John, is this uh, portion of of John chapter 6, verses 41 through 51, it is the inspired and therefore the inerrant word of the living God. So let's attend with reverence to its reading. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And this ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. And let's come before the Lord briefly in prayer. Lord, we do pray that you would indeed bless the reading and the exposition and the hearing of this word, that that tonight as we consider this topic of free will, that that our consciences, our minds would be informed only by your word and by its clear exposition, that we would be rid of all preconceptions, preconceived notions that come from the world, that we would rather have a biblical worldview We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in particular tonight, I'll cite this once more, but uh, the reason I read that passage is that as we consider the topic of free will, uh, we have to remember that our wills are not utterly free. We do have free will, as we'll get into in the sermon here, uh, but they're not so free that we will choose something that is against our nature to choose. And because of our fallen nature, we need to be brought to the Lord. And we can't and won't choose him for ourselves if we're left in our sins. And so Jesus makes the clear statement in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In this series, we've seen previously that to be saved, a person must have been eternally chosen 
by God. But we also know that there is a, a free will. There's, a, in fact, a, a free call that God gives of the gospel issued to all mankind. And how do these concepts work together? Some would negate one in order to uplift the other. Whether it's to say that we are merely sort of puppets or automatons on the one hand, or fatalistic, or to say on the other hand that we do have free will, and it's utterly free, and it's, we're free to, to choose God, and God waits for us to do so. Well, that's, uh, that overlooks the, the, scriptural, the clear scriptural teaching that uh, we are totally depraved, and that our uh, general bent is away from God and not to Him, and that apart from God intervening, we would never choose Him. So how do we deal with this? The Bible actually unapologetically presents the fact that God issues a general call to the world to repent, but only chooses some, and not the whole world, to be saved. Well, how can this be? Many will ask, is there no free will then at all? Are we only, as I said, puppets? Are we automatons? Are we robots just doing what God has programmed us to do? Sad fact is that those who who believe in evolution have left left us off basically with the the conclusion that all that we are and think and say and do is simply the result of chemical reactions and so that really logically leaves us with no morality and with no free will so those who would seem to promote free will the most, their philosophy actually leaves them with no way logically to understand that there is free will. Well, the scriptures deal openly with the question of free will. And the Westminster Confession of Faith summarizes the scripture's teaching on the topic, saying, God hath endued the will of man, with that natural liberty, that it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. So our basic nature does not determine us to good or evil one way or the other. We'll get into that. Of course, that was before the fall. And so the confession says man in his state of innocency, so that's before the fall, had freedom and power to will and to do that which is good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably, that means able to change, right? so that he might fall from it. We read in Genesis 1, verse 27, that God made man male and female after his own image. Our first parents were like God, in that they could think, reason, be holy, moral, have dominion, and so on. They represented him to his creation, and we still bear that image. We still are God's representatives to his creation. Uh, it's just that we fall far short of doing it correctly because of our brokenness. The image of God is broken in us because of the fall. But our first parents represented God exactly as he intended them to as they were first created. And remember, God declared his creation, including Adam and Eve, very good. He would not have said that if they had had sin in them or if there was anything rebellious in them at that time. 
but he declared all creation very good. We know the familiar account of how God gave them the freedom of choice to obey or to disobey him. He placed Adam in the Garden of Eden and planted a tree in the midst of the garden and said you can eat of any of the, the fruit of any of the trees in this garden except this one that's in the midst of the garden and gave him that probation. For in the day that you eat thereof, the penalty was you shall surely die. Adam had the ability to obey or disobey. So not only did our first parents have free will, by their choice they could alter their very nature. Now this is something that uh, we cannot do. We cannot alter our nature by choice. Our first parents could choose either to be sinners or not to be sinners. We can't choose that. That's our nature. We are sinners. They have given rise to sinners. They chose to be sinners and they gave rise to sinners. So contrary to what our culture today says, you cannot change your nature by willing it. You do have free will, as we'll see as we go here, but that free will is, is confined. It's not so free as to be able to change your nature. Not even Adam or Eve could say, well, I decide to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that would have made it true. No. Nor could Adam, who was made male, remember God made them male and female in his own image, Adam, who was male, could not have said, well, I choose to be female instead. Wouldn't have made it true. But they did have free will to change their nature in regard to whether they were immortal and sinless or mortal and sinful. And they chose the latter. They could will to obey God and thus remain innocent, holy, and undefiled, or they could will to disobey God and thereby change themselves into guilty, unholy, and defiled sinners, and we know what their choice was. We see the effects of it every day. I feel it in my body as I stand here before you, the consequences of the curse for sin. I am not without aches and pains. Others feel much greater consequences at this very moment. And so Adam is the covenant head and that he and all his posterity in him fell from the state in which he had been created. And this affected everything about human nature, including our wills. So sin has damaged everything about your nature and about my nature, and that includes even our very wills, our very thoughts, the way that we think, the way, the way that we desire things to be to such an extent that we do not desire God for who he really is. Paul speaks of human nature in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He uses the general word for mankind there. And here's how he describes mankind, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, or in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So in other words, we can look at the creation around us, Paul says, 
And we should be able to see that it points to a creator. And yet, we often refuse to recognize that. We create other gods in the place of the God who is the creator. Or we just deny his existence altogether. So he says we're without excuse. Why? He goes on to say, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we, we make gods after our own image, or after the image of things that we think are powerful and, and useful to us, the gods that we wish we had, instead of the God who is. And change the glory of and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That, apart from God's intervention, is where every human society ends up going. Because that's what our nature is since our fall into sin. So the confession says, Man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. So we cannot make a decision for the Lord, as so many people try to say. Our will is not that free. Or rather, as we will see as we go on here, you have the free will. God has given you the free will to choose anything you want. But if left in your sins, you will never want God for who he really is. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's our natural state. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, Paul says. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the notion that God just waits for us to make a decision for him is contrary to our understanding that when we're in the flesh, we cannot please God. And making a decision for God would be pleasing to him. When Paul says flesh, he's using that term as a shorthand here for our fallen sinful natures. If we're in our fallen sinful nature, we don't want God for who he is. We cannot please God. Since the fall, 
Our natural state has been hostility to God, enmity with God, the total inability to please him. In Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus, Jesus says, Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. We're all defiled unless we're cleansed by Jesus Christ. In John three nineteen, Jesus points out, People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's a general statement about the general condition of mankind. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So everything about me, even my will, everything about you, even your will, if you are not in Christ, is defiled by sin. This is your natural state. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked, really. Who can understand it? Jeremiah asks. So we still have free will. We still have the freedom to choose whatever we desire. A friend of mine who was a Methodist minister held to the notion that that we have the ability to choose. God had a ringtone on his phone. I remember was the song by the band Rush, Free Will, which tells you that if you choose not to decide, you still made a choice. <laughs> and, and at the end of the chorus, every time around, he would say, I will choose free will. Well, we don't deny that free will exists. The problem is that someone left in his sins will never choose God. Left in our own fallen natures, we will never desire God. We have the the free will to choose whatever we desire, but we will never desire God when left in our sins. Therefore, we would never freely choose Him. One of the great ironies of the human condition, and one of the beautiful doctrines of God's love, is that God is willing to be found by those who seek Him, He will be available to all who choose him. He will answer all who call on him. The scriptures say that kind of thing over and over, but the only ones who seek him are those who have been sought and found by him already. The only ones who choose him have already been chosen by him. The only ones who call on him are those whom he has effectually called. No one comes to the Father, or rather no no one comes to me, Jesus says, except those whom the Father draws. We have free will, but left to ourselves, we would never seek and obey the true God. So we will, we choose, rather to be enslaved to our own sins. This is our natural state again. Romans 6.20 tells us we were slaves of sin. Therefore sin rules mankind. From John 5.19 we find, We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies, in the, or this should be First John not 5.19, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3.9-12, All, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. 
none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's God's judgment on mankind. So while we have free will in our sinful state, we don't desire God for who he truly is, and we reject his call to repent and be saved. It's a genuine call, but we reject it. Jeremiah 13, 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. That's what God says about us. As, as easily as you could change your very skin tone, or as easily as a leopard could change his spots, that's how easy it would be for you to change your sinful nature on your own. John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. John 6.65, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You and I, in our natural state, can't choose to be godly any more than we can choose a different ethnicity or that a leopard could choose to change his spots. Now, I guess our culture has come up with a great answer to that. I now identify as someone who can choose God. (laughs) It doesn't work. It won't happen. God, though, can sovereignly choose any one of us, any human being, and change that person. So what God does in saving his elect is to renew their wills. As the confession states, when God converteth a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enableth him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so as that by reason of his remaining corruption he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. So in other words, God renews our will, gives us the ability to choose good, to choose him for who he really is, and yet we still have some of the old nature with us, and we still choose evil. So with renewed wills, we now will love God for who he truly is. Because to use a different analogy, it's as if God has, we were blind, or we were willfully blind, and he has given us the eyes to see him for who he really is, and because he's beautiful, because he's perfect, because he's what we should desire, we do desire him. We choose him who first chose us, and we do spiritually good things. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God chooses us, he redeems us, he uh, then enables us to do the good works that we were made to do. Nevertheless, though we have renewed wills, our sinful natures still drag on us and cause us to stumble and disobey God. Uh, So Paul says in Romans 7.15, I do not do what I want. So notice there's his will. This is what I want, this thing over here, but I don't always do that thing that I want but the very thing I hate. So I want the things that please God. I don't want, I hate the things that displease God, but sometimes I find myself doing the things that I hate because my old nature drags on me. With a renewed will, he now hates his sin, but he still finds himself doing it. 
The confession points out the will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. So as long as we're in this life, we will have that struggle. So the Westminster Assembly acknowledges what Paul is talking about, that that until we are fully glorified, we will not be totally free from sin, but we will be progressively freer from it. But only in the world to come will our wills be perfectly and unchangeably good. Often we Reformed Christians get accused of fatalism, as I mentioned earlier. When we we point to the Bible's clear teaching on God's sovereignty in regard to salvation, we say, well, God must choose us first. And so people will accuse us that of saying, well, you, you say there's no such thing as free will. And no, what we're saying is we simply don't have the will, the ability by our will to change our very nature, which does not desire God unless God has first changed our wills. So I no more, if I'm in my sinful state, have the ability to choose God against my very nature than I have the ability to declare myself to be a dinosaur and make that true. It just doesn't work that way. But we know everyone is free to choose whatever he or she wants. We also know the depth of human depravity. Without a renewed will, the sinner will never want God for who he truly is. Praise be to God that he has renewed the wills of his people that he is choosing. The sinner is free to choose God or something else and being by nature hostile to to God we will always choose something else. Anything but God. Some false God ourselves, some earthly pursuit or pleasure. Just never God for who he really is. So God, in order to preserve a people for himself, chooses some of those who are hostile and rebels to him. They're in rebellion, they're sinners. And he renews their wills, opens their eyes to his glory, and enables them to choose him, and they do. With our eyes open, we don't have to be dragged kicking and screaming. God doesn't, uh, that's another thing that we're accused of, is saying that that against our wills, then God chooses us and brings us into his kingdom. But no, he gives us the will to love him, and so we're not dragged kicking and screaming into his kingdom. But when we see God for who he really is, with our new eyes, with our renewed wills, with our new hearts, we run as fast as we can to embrace him. Because he is the most perfect, beautiful, and desirable thing. And so now, with your free will, you can choose him. So again, we don't, we don't even deny that people will make a choice or a decision for the Lord. We just know that God's choice had to come first. Of our own free will. When God renews us. When he makes us a new creation. We choose the Lord because he first chose us and enabled us to desire him. So as John says, we love because he first loved us. Well, let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you have chosen a people for yourself and renewed their wills that they might also choose you. We know that we love you because you first loved us. Help us, therefore, to live lives that show that love, that show a daily choice of you, that we might live lives of gratitude for your sovereign and unmerited grace. 
through Jesus our Savior. Amen.